and you're dealing with a biological system that has so many moving bits that um, is really a black box. Where really, really is, and we've got inputs, we've got an output, a fair chunk of it right down to go as deep as you want, understanding the cow and the way she works mm, um, mm. Uh, physiologically, behaviorally, own um, soils and um, all the complexities around the flora and fauna. It's incredible complexity and it's very difficult to completely control it. Therefore, we need something better in the black box. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today, great to have Pete Morgan joining me. How are you, Pete? Thank you. Really good, thanks. Excited to catch up with you. Yeah, well, look, this is, this is great. Uh, your first time on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Um, and look, maybe a, a little bit of an introduction about yourself, where you fit into this sort of big, wild world of yeah, tech, innovation, yeah. And farming, in right, your case, right. which I'm really excited actually to really drill in and and understand more, you know, particularly the dairy world that you're, you know, most involved in, and and the role of, of tech and innovation and Kiwi ingenuity and how it all comes together, right. uh, and and where it's heading. But um, yeah, a little bit of an overview from yourself. Sure. Yeah. I mean, involvement with tech, it kind of feels like being part of the human race. You're immediately immersed in it, regardless. <laughs> so, um, but certainly within farming. Um, it's, uh, it's just extraordinary in the last 10, but particularly five years, we've seen a, a huge growth in, in uptake. Yes, yeah, so Anne and I farm in the South Waikato. We've got a beautiful rolling um, 265 hectare dairy farm, um, carved down at five or 600 cows and all young stock on, and a team of, uh, amazing team of three people on the farm working with me. Um, came through a pretty traditional, what I think is traditional now, um, a lot of people might not, that... Uh, Grew up South Auckland, studied at Massey, um, met Anne there, she was doing vet, and then travelled the world, came back, worked in research, worked for um, uh, what's now is um, DRNZ and, and um, uh, AgriSearch. And then, yeah, as with a lot of farmers, got to the key stages of life when just planning growing up stuff and farming kind of ticked the box, even though we've both been exposed to it lots and worked and studied. Um, because there's a bit of a lifestyle choice. Once you commit, if you want to do it properly, you completely commit. Mm. And then, um, yeah, so I had a really good background, um, a family background with a bit of tech, um, university obviously. Um, but dairy farming itself is immersed in a lot of uh, data and analysis and is absolutely ripe for uh, even really simple fundamental technology. I mean, just the development of Excel, for example, just it ballooned, as I'm sure it did for you, of just the ability to just run so many things anyone could. Mm-hmm. Um, then everything went from there. And we've got a whole host of technology we've always used, some of it incredibly simple, like the use of tailpipe, which has got to be one of the simplest things you can think of, but just completely revolutionised what we do, um, right through to some pretty cool stuff now. Wow. Okay. Well, looking forward to delving into into that. Um, before we dive in, of course, a big thank you to our show partners, to 1NZ, 2 Degrees, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. Uh, yeah, look, there's, I mean, there's a whole lot of areas and, and just for, you know, background, um, you know, sometimes there's an interesting way that we met and, um, uh, <laughs> that's right. We got to meet on an airplane of all things. I was coming back right. from Thailand. You were coming back from India, from and India. Singapore. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was some, some weeks back anyway. And, you yeah. know, great that, uh, we were able to, 
uh, find the right timing to, uh, to to get together. And, you know, I know you you contribute to a range of media, whether it's TVNZ Breakfast and, uh, you know, things in the Herald and, and, and so on. Um, but, yeah, real privilege to have you joining us on the show and to Thank you. maybe delve in a, a little bit deeper and, and definitely with that, that tech focus. Um, one of the things when we were, we were talking before the show that I just found fascinating was how you talked about collaboration and and transparency within um, yeah within the, the New Zealand sort of farming community yep, and and yep. you know how that how that culture is and how it differs to other parts of the world because I think that sort of sets a scene for some of the innovation that we've seen coming out of New Zealand mm-hmm. and no doubt some of the things that are sort of coming down the, the pike as well yeah yeah and you're right that's a really important foundation for <clears throat> getting your head around how it all works when people come to the farm if you come down and spend a day on the farm with me, or we have we have quite a few quite big groups that we just engage with, come whoever from business circles or science or wherever, or a lot of overseas groups. I do two things to start with. One is I show on a whiteboard or I scratch in the dirt the seasonal supply and demand curves of our pasture throughout the country, and then how we map over top of it New Zealand what the animals need by our calving dates and other things, and it enables us to run these beautifully simple, harmonious with whatever the, the climate is doing in that region, and low cost and pasture base. So once people get that aspect, they can understand our systems. But just as important is our history, 150 years of agriculture, but exclusively exporting pretty much the vast majority. My industry, we still export 97% of what we make. And we pretty much always have. As a result, it means that for that reason and the need from a simple virgin country coming up through um, and developing land, we needed to collaborate um, in our not just our development, but our research and extension and universities. Also, our competition was never with each other as farmers. So it became expedient for all of us to fund the research through levies, um, educate ourselves, share ideas, and we share everything. There is like my neighbours and everyone else in the industry can find out pretty much everything about each other, our business, our policies, our experiences. Uh, our finance, we share all of those, our budgets, we standardise them and put them into a really significant base called dairy base, which we can then go and query um, anything to do if we want to find benchmarks. Wow. And it's very cool. It's, uh, you're right, it's not normal around most of the world. So when you talk about that financial transparency, I mean, to, to what, what sort of level? If I was you know, curious around... Your your farm, you know, maybe I'm I'm wondering how my own farm's doing, sure. or I'm thinking about investing in your farm yeah, or yeah. In other farms in the area. Yep. You know, what 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 data is actually uh, are you sharing? Yep. So, thirty seconds on the web, put in my name and put in farming and or particularly put in Dairy and Z who who create the biggest database um, of farm performance, and we have a whole number of case study farms throughout the country. We're one of them, and yeah, you can put up everything. Um, wow. Sort of six, seven, eight years, I think it might be now, of financial uh, reports standardised, but even more importantly, the policies behind them mm. and what, how we've managed um, uh, what we call step change, which is quite a big program going on, is how we actually step through change um, uh, because of uh, changing the economy, uh, your own stage of career or life, uh, and then adaptation around uh, regulations, uh, which we might talk about a bit later, um, freshwater farm plans that are rolling out. And, of course, the main event coming, which is our emissions and carbon. Mm. And, yeah, and we have lots of field days. My wife jokes that uh, people say 
gossiping like old women is nothing like gossiping like farmers when we get <laughs> us together. Honestly, it's even walking down the main street, it's like two five-year-olds just kind of gravitating to each other and you have to tear them apart because we've got so much in common. But culturally, we've normalised that. Um, but I see it throughout New Zealand. I'm very egalitarian um, on everything and um, have, I know, aspects of it uh, potentially negative, but uh, most of it is, is it's pretty nice. Be kind to each other. It's mm. a good thing. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. And and so, you know, looking at the, the role of, you know, technology mm. within the within the farm world, you know, maybe, a, a, you know, a bit of an overview of kind of, you know, what that looks like, where, where yeah. the technology uh, sits. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's not all information technology. There's, you know, ranges of technology. We're talking Absolutely. about paint on uh, on tails and, I know. And, and so on. So walk us through some of these things. Yeah, yeah. The beautiful thing about dairy farming is um, it's a strong industry with um, stability and that creates some, one of the main things that you'd understand in, in the tech world is confidence. As soon as you've got that, you will attract um, solid research and funding and capital and confidence in the future. So with that backbone um, and then an intensive, second thing is intensity of data. So we have enough there coming through. Uh, we've got a whole lot of KPIs through our main performance and inputs that are very standardized and everyone understands that we speak the same language. On the other hand, and we've got the willingness to work together. Okay, so those are the great ingredients for the recipe. But when it comes to the, uh, to the baking, it's not so easy because we've got, um, we've got huge complexities because we're dealing with um, uh, a food industry. So yeah. if you talk, I might, Talk as a dairy farmer, I am in the food industry first and foremost. My staff yeah. speak that language, yeah. we all do, and therefore we're tied to what the markets and what the tariffs and what the reality and the politics and and uh, the commercial realities of everything else to do with that. Um, throw on top of that climatic change and you're dealing with a biological system that has so many moving bits that um, is really a black box. We really, really is, and we've got inputs, we've got an output, a fair chunk of it right down to go as deep as you want. Understanding the cow and the way she works, mm, um, mm. physiologically, behaviourally, let alone um, soils and um, all the complexities around the, the flora and fauna, uh, it's incredible complexity and it's very difficult to completely control it. Therefore, we have in the we need something better in the black box because um, constraints in terms of inflation, uh, labour shortage, um, and changing in our demographics as farmers. And then conversely, um, further outwards, we've got um, yeah, volatility in markets and consumer preferences changing, and then climate volatility. So all those things mean we've got to wrestle control. Um, we are at the reasonably extreme end with what we are doing, although there's more than a quarter of a million farmers um, managing um, virtual management farm systems like we're doing now. Uh, but I often say that dairy farmers are kind of playing catch-up. Uh, if you take the cropping industry, mm. they have mm. had phenomenal optimization programs using some brilliant modeling um, and algorithms. They've got uh, use of GPS technology for super improvements in efficiency and seed placement, and fertilizer reduction and adaptations um, to minimize costs and, and create a lot more stability. We have been victims of our success that with our beautiful, simple systems with that supply and demand curves and just managing it by the seat of our pants well with experience. Yeah. Uh, we've been really robust till now, um, but we seriously need to play some catch up for those reasons I just said. Yeah, um, yeah. So we were ripe 
for it to come in. We've got some salient um, lessons as well. It's always easier to learn from someone else's, um, yeah. And we've got the saying, of course, second mouse gets the cheese. So we try and make sure that there's plenty of second, third mice along to learn from each other uh, and pick up the first mouse. So, uh, for example, if you go onto the farm, you look at the most intense part of the whole system is the milking. Okay, twice a day, you've got yeah. two or three hours of very intense changing cups and monitoring the animals and doing things. So you would think that the first place to actually go in is just completely do a big tech dump in there. <clears throat> Lots of parts of the world have done it. Uh, the US, uh, even more so in Europe, a huge number of um, robotic milking systems. Uh, and they de- exist in New Zealand too, don't they? They right? do, but, absolutely, but, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Delavelle and Lely have both got a big presence in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and they work brilliantly well. Mm. They are, um, we've had neighbours with them. And except for one thing has stopped them from um, growing more than just a basic, uh, a basic number in New Zealand. I understand it's relatively stable. Uh, <clears throat> and that is they don't work in the bigger picture, which is once you, uh, if you look at it functionally, right there, it works beautifully. These animals come and go and it's seamless. But the bigger picture is it's got to be sustainable on every other front. And whenever I talk about sustainability, because we're doing a lot of environmental work in our mm, farm and mm, outside, mm. the most important thing to be sustainable is you and your business and mm. your performance and yeah. your um, profitability. If you don't have that and a confidence that will stay like that, the rest of it's just not going to work. Mm. Um, and I defend that vehemently when we have groups who want to talk about our sustainability work, but we actually start with that and then build out from that. Um, uh, those robotics were not have not been sustainable on a lot of farms because they didn't address the real engine of our system, which is the ability to seamlessly work with the animals, the environment, the pasture that we grow. Um, in the pasture, your ability to grow and utilise it accounts for 85% mm. of, our, um, of our return within the farm system, wow. just on that ability. So 85%? It's, it's completely about that. Mm. And when you come onto a farm and, and look at everything they're doing, it's, it's that farmer's ability either using technology or their experience uh, with some basic measurements to make really good quality decisions every day on the most fundamental thing is how much area am I going to give these girls each day mm-hmm. and how much feed will they get. Um, that decides it mm-hmm. pretty much. And so the main differences were actually being made outside. And this yeah. is where gotcha. te- technology like Halter, um, that um, Craig Pickett, who you've had on the show before, um, just through part genius and mostly incredible amount of work and risk and um, uh, managed to address which was genius. I mean, most of us, by that stage, I'd been farming for 15 years and, and uh, really, really got the pasture proposition. Mm-hmm. And so the technology we were adapting to, uh, if you came into my farm, and you actually still can up to about a week ago, when we've done some seriously cool tech within the cow shed, um, was the cow shed was no different to what it was 30 years ago. And one of my two cow sheds is still same as it was 50 years ago, because it's simple, robust. It's got three electric motors, and the rest of it, super low cost and robust. But outside that, uh, the use of um, GPS technology, absolute game changer for us. The ability to use of satellites. um, For you to manage your pasture well, you need to be able to accurately assess exactly how much is there and understand it intimately. And we're really lucky that on the near-infrared end of the spectrum, um, the satellites are able to very accurately pick up um, the quantity of feed and then through some 
crazy cool um, machine learning, uh, Holter have run with that and then created um, a whole lot of other different dimensions to that in terms of being able to model and understand and then predict and help us manage. Um, and that technology was originally developed, uh, the, the satellite stuff, for understanding deforestation and rainforests where you'd have selective logging in the Amazon and that, which was hard to tell yeah, just visually. Yeah, yeah. But when they looked at the biomass density, which is what near-infrared measures through chlorophyll, um, they were able to pick up that these things are being, being taken out. And, yep. So, yeah, it was really interesting um, development there. Uh, and then integrating it with our databases uh, and then being able to make better decisions on a clunky, relatively manual basis meant that we knew manually what we needed to do but couldn't see how we could scale it up because we had the next limiting factors, which was us and our time um, and our ability to communicate to staff exactly what needs to be done. And, and their progress was always going to be a five or ten year track to build up the same experience with us. With the reduction in the number of people and their different motivations of each generation, they're not only less of them now, significantly less of those people coming in, um, and even the career changes we were talking about earlier that are coming in that are, that are making up a significant proportion, they want a very different pathway. So they're, they're not going to spend five or ten years being the, the boy or Right, because the they've come in from another career, they've changed into farming, yep. and they're ready just to put their foot down and, and get rolling. And yeah. So they want to draw on the best of tech and innovation that's available. They do, and they challenge, which is wonderful, mm. really good. Mm. It's really easy to get stuck in farming again with your success in relatively blinkered view of, of um, not only what you're doing, but what is possible and for them to come in and say, um, this, you, there's got to be a better way of actually doing this. So they're always building better mousetraps, and, mm, and, mm. Um, yeah, which is really stimulating. So again, if you add that element, the constraints, you add the type of people who are creating these discussions, and then you have um, this flat structure in New Zealand many organisations that have developed a lot of the tech that's particularly the what they call the wearables. Mm. So we've got mm. collars and ear tags and rumen boluses, which will measure um, rumen pH and temperature and a whole lot of dynamic things that can then um, uh, communicate at the cow shed um, back out. And what, uh, to, what, to is that, what does that tell you for those that aren't you know familiar working, oh. working with cattle? Yeah, yeah. So a cow is part of a... a type of species called ruminants. So ruminants um, will, by definition, have a rumen, which is their second of four stomachs, which is evolutionarily phenomenally unique. It will do something that no animal can do, and that is provide the right environment to digest cellulose, which is completely indigestible to anything, including us. It just goes straight through you um, mm. as fibre. And they can do it. Well, they actually outsource it. They actually get the rumen bacteria um, to do it for them. So we've got these billions and billions of bacteria yep. um, to do it. And so those, uh, so th how that actually is managed is part of the fine art of grazing management, but we never get to see what's happening inside. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a rumen bolus, it's a thing about this big um, that has this... Um, what are we talking about? Seven, seven centimetres yeah. long or so? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah about, about the, the length of your hand. Yep. Um, and they swallow it quite easily. It sits in there and then it has a radio frequency that will just it'll collect data and then communicate back to a, a simple receiver in the cow shed. Wow. And then able to make really good decisions on how well the animals, uh, the, the biochemistry of what's going on inside the rumen. Um, how hard is it to get them to swallow one of these things? Oh, it's pretty 
Our cows are well. Deer cows are handled really well. I would not want to try it on some angry Hereford cow. She yeah. would. She would have you uh, in the beef industry. No, my girls are. They're very very calm. Funny thing, they are. Um, and so, do you have the? Do you have those with? Like, does every cow uh, have one of those, or is that something? This is only is, is something just a very small selected number that selected give you that number. sort of feedback on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, a selected number of farmers use it, right? And they yeah. tend to be the quite high input ones that are more aligned with um, feedlot systems that they'd be using overseas. And so, New Zealand has a very few of those. Mm. There'd be only a few percent at that end, or ones that have specific feed types or issues. Mm. The vast majority of us have stock standard pasture-based um, uh, feeding systems. And we all carve in the spring, mainly to tie in with that um, synchrony of the um, supply and demand curves. And uh, So you get to manage and control that. You get to manage and control through technology like yeah. that, which yeah. is very cool, and that will only carry on increasing. Um, and then the other range of tech that, uh, in terms of the cow, um, is uh, around measuring uh, temperature, uh, motion, and extrapolating from that behaviour, um, which is where the machine learning comes in. And uh, Holfer have put just, like all the companies, they put a huge amount of effort to turn um, something that is a movement in three dimension into a whole range of behaviour discussions. Mm-hmm. So I can, those cows I was showing you, those dots on my map, um, which are the live view. We, we were looking at your uh, smartphone and looking yeah. at the halter app earlier That's, as the cows were coming coming into milk, right? That's right. So yeah. watching them leave the paddock, and it's amazing to be in Auckland and have this going on um, down on the farm in the South Waikato and just be able to tie it in. I mean, I mean when I was overseas, um, right through the day, you'd be able to keep checking in and, and just be aware, just as if you were, were right there. But any of those cows I can touch on and get a live feed of um, sort of every – 30-minute increments of exactly what her behaviour is, how she's walking and sleeping and eating and moving and and then other things to do um, that can be extrapolated from that because that's mm, just movement mm. in three dimensions. Yeah. Um, I mean, they literally had these guys sitting on deck chairs, often in the pouring rain with a coat over them and a laptop watching cows wearing collars and then every time they did something, they would press a button. And so, of course, that's how wow. machine learning, learning wow. works. Wow. And then, and then very quickly the technology goes. I got this. I know what that is. You go yeah. inside, get dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. It's really. That was the advantage of being involved early. I got to see all those crazy early cowboy days. Yeah, um, as well. Yeah. Now, I guess sort of a, a, an aspect that some of us might not sort of understand, at least in too much detail, is what does the business of being a dairy farmer kind of look like, you know, mm. in terms of what are the things that sort of make a difference in terms of output, in terms yep. of, you know, because I guess as dairy, is the milk really your only revenue source? Are there are there other things that sort of yeah, yeah. fit in there? And um, how does that vary? And, right. and you know, the, those sorts of things. Just, uh, it certainly helps me anyway to understand that sort of sure. business business side of it to see how these other you know mm. elements kind of fit together yeah because you do need a feel for how the business is structured and functions to really understand then why we do some of the things we do mm. the why mm. that i put significant amount of money every year into at least some technology um, to make a difference so um, if you fan right out um, we've got the land um, and we pay a significant amount from it for it uh, and then the animals are make up about 15% of the equity we tend to have tied up. So it's, it's significant. We 
make a choice for the use of the land depending on where you are in the country and dairy farming on any moderate to easier land has a far higher return. Um, and if you take my pasture uh, matching with demand, you your optimization that you're after to minimize costs, even productivity and manage risk, um, you have those cows calving at the right time and then milking while their requirements are like three times what they need when they're not milking. So therefore, when they're all milking, you, you're going to have that happen during the, the highest growth period of the year. Um, and then once we get to autumn and the grass slows down, we stop milking them for the winter. We only consume a couple of percent of all the milk we make in New Zealand. We export everything else. So, right. Uh, and, and, and that's um, heavily sort of leaning towards, you know, a powdered... Uh, product um, is it, it is yes yes so commodities um, versus value added so the commodities still make up about 50 or 60 percent mm, and of mm. that yes we've got whole milk powder skim milk powder butter cheese mm. um, and then a whole lot of specialty products <clears throat> which we do extremely well and whilst they might not have the the returns per ton um, that are value added they have we can well, part of the problem is from a, um, an engineering point of view is <clears throat> our peak production is such a big volume that you could not build factories for all the value-added um, products when all you do is have them for um, a couple of months of the year. Right, right. Okay, okay. So, and so a different <coughs> farm sort of operating on quite different schedules and so on. How does that? Nope. So does that work? every farm does its own thing. Yeah. You do your whatever your area. Yeah. You do what your thing, and then the factories themselves have to work around that. So. As you go through the country, though, mm. Northland will carve earlier. Will have a different profile to Waikato, to Canterbury, to Southland. Yep, it depends on the, the weather. And, it does, and the, and and the, the climate. Yeah. And yeah. it's right. And when spring comes, so the next stage then is yes, almost all our income is from um, uh, from milk production. Mm. So maybe about five, ten at the most would be percent would come from stock sales, from yep. surplus stock. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, it's completely all a lot of eggs in one basket. And we do it very well compared to most countries where you'll have mixed operations. You'll have some beef and you'll have some cropping and maybe something else on the side. Uh, we tend to be a lot more pure in what we do, particularly because it actually does is the best use of the land, is the optimum. Um, and it's quite consuming. So you don't, if you do have something else in, within the farm, uh, it's likely to be distracting from your ability to actually achieve the primary thing. Um, so therefore the income is relatively seasonal. So then you like... Uh, your business structure needs to be um, very cognizant of cash flow. Um, our ability to budget ahead and have financial tools and uh, very robust accounting systems is, is mm. extremely important because yep. we have such a significant delay between where the major expenditure is and when the income comes in. Um, beyond that, we're supplying Fonterra, like the 80% <clears throat> of the industry. And when you get to the end of each season, our seasons go June to June, um, there is still up to another 20% that hasn't been paid out that they'll wait till the next October until all the markets settle out and all the exchanges and everything for us to then um, know what we'll finally get. So we call them retro payments. So for us to be able to cash flow and manage that has been super important. And the technology around our accounting um, is important. And as you'll see in a minute, the... Um, our ability to actually bring all these worlds together, how our animals are behaving and performing and um, producing, um, our pastures and our crops, 
our um, what the markets are doing, whether we forward fix or use any of those um, industry tools uh, to create stability. Um, all of those things have to filter down to measuring performance, but also how we actually drive performance. And so one of the big, um, <clears throat> one of the exciting things happening with technology is convergence. And we've got so much siloed uh, information and processes that it, it still, still feels like as a farmer, I'm having to use a significant degree of judgment on what I should be doing with these different parts of the business. Gotcha. When surely it's an optimization program if you could actually yeah. have the data, yeah. Yeah. have this different data sources coming in um, mm. from the different technology that we have everywhere and more and more of that. Having more data doesn't actually make your life significantly easier quite often. <laughs> so as you well understand, um, but it's exciting though, um, having all that potential building up. But it's typical, isn't it, that you don't have everything move at the same time. Mm. You'll have a mm-hmm. over mm. uh, overblow here and in data, and then yeah. you'll have some startup go. Actually, I can fill that space and start joining the dots together. Mm-hmm. Um, things like the the wearables, these you know, Internet of Things. Yep, IoT. Um, yeah, we've got so much better, you know, connectivity. You know, now haven't we? We do the IoT devices. Uh, you know, satellite coverage for those that are uh, yep. you know out 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 in the absolute wops where uh, nothing nothing can reach oh. them in terms of you know traditional communication. We've had to skip all of that. You must have seen that in overseas where they've just forget about any infrastructure. They've just yeah. gone straight to satellite yeah. um, for yeah. developing any tech. Yeah, and and definitely for farming, um, we've got a significant proportion in New Zealand that still doesn't have great coverage. But mm. um, and so you get these companies develop their own. So we've got um, devices, well, on the farm then, we've got um, complete coverage of the whole farm with LoRa. Yep. Okay. Yep. And it's just that, and it makes me realize, kind of upended the way I actually think about what we've, how I think about the farm now, mm. that we've got the complete coverage. And at the moment, we've got the location, the geolocation of every animal, and we can manage them um, any way we want. We have as many mobs we can contain them in any what we call a break, so an area where they get allocated exactly what they need of the feed and crop. We can move them anywhere to any other break, any other paddock, or to the cow shed for milking. And ultimately, this sort of tech, and this is where the, we talk about virtual management, um, it will tell you where they are. It will allow you to keep them where you want, move them where you want, and it will tell you how they're doing. Their, yeah, their reproductive cycle, their health, their behaviour and all yeah. of that. And yeah. those are the things it does. But they're pretty fundamental. I mean, you could do that uh, manually. And we have historically, especially mm-hmm. when we had mm-hmm. smaller herds. When I started, um, after I did the travelling and everything and started off on this farm, um, this farm, I was actually still working in Hamilton um, in research and this farmer banged on the door. We were renting a cottage. Anne was a vet in a local town and we were just in the halfway point on this farm. And his his uh, farm worker had shot through. It was a Saturday morning. House had cleared out. He was only 15. And so he said, can you help me out for the weekend? And just got on so well with him. And by Monday, he offered me a job. And two weeks later, I left and went farming. Wow. But there was 120 cows. Yeah, and okay, I knew okay. them all. Had no motorbike. You'd walk. You'd understand them. A cow would flutter her eyes. knew she was on heat, ready for mating. And you saw a yeah. cow droop an eyelid. You knew she was unwell. Mm. Um, but by virtue of scale and um, and us wanting to do a better and better job, uh, we needed something to do 
uh, do that more reliably and better. And um, and so it's weird for me because with on one hand the sort of the best technology is so enabling, but it does something so fundamental and basic in tuning into the reality at the bottom level, but can then draw out from that just an insane number of things for any farm system. These hugely steep countries that have all sorts of erosion and environmental issues and labour and infrastructure. It's fine. It basically flattens the whole farm. You can do what you mm. want right through mm. to some of these high-performing um, peat farms in the Waikato, um, uh, intensive 5,000 cow farms in the Canterbury, or I know a guy with 100 cows just just wants to have a, a seamless way of money, managing the farm. Yeah. All through some really basic... Uh, basic in terms of what it's actually trying to achieve. It does it through an insanely complicated way. Um, and then we've got the whole farm covered with Laura, which... So I've Laura, got a, for those that aren't familiar, it's an internet of things, you know, communications technology. Yep. I guess it's, you know, in, the, in, in our homes and offices, we have Wi-Fi on the farm. You have Laura, right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like yeah. a Wi-Fi, quite right. Mm-hmm. But it's, I always think of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it's the opposite of what my cell phone does. With 4 and 5G, you've got this big faster pipeline with faster. just this huge amount of data, yeah. but it can only talk to my phone. Yeah. Whereas yeah. my understanding with IoT devices and something like LoRa, if you've got good coverage, you can have just a ridiculous number of these things. But all they need to do is send a little ping. They're not yeah. sending tiny bits of information effectively. Yeah. So they're both ends of the spectrum and together, mm-hmm. um, when people say IoT is a big deal in the future, um, that's the kind of area that I'm thinking. So farms have, and this is talking further ahead, we, there's a lot of stuff we haven't covered that we're already doing with tech, but having that vision ahead of where it needs to go, and this is my role um, uh, in communication and with conferences and articles and particularly talking to big groups on the farm that come from all sorts of backgrounds, want to help us navigate um, mindfully and purposefully th- towards wherever we're going rather than slightly haphazard. And, and we take pretty seriously our responsibility and farming of particularly dairy, of of in order to earn the right to um, critique anything, you need to have been a part of the conversation, be constructive, and have been there along the way to give advice. Mm, mm. And so, uh, and so having full Laura coverage over the whole farm, there is just I tell you what I've got several decades of of Christmas lists for Santa in terms of what potentially could be put on. So. Uh, things like um, soil probes across the farm, yep. which could yep. measure soil, moisture, mm. soil, pH, mm. nutrient levels, uh, effort levels, biological activity, um, which as you network those together would have a phenomenal influence on not just performance, but there's a huge number of environmental factors. Um, and then uh, working right through to, again, the main act coming up, which is um, our addressing our emissions. Um, and then every vehicle, every water pipe um, in terms of flow rate um, and then networking all of those together with a f- more fine-tuned understanding and management of, of the feed and pastures and then uh, all of those things connected not only emissions to environment but to groundwater and then um, our waterways, uh, they're all uh, very closely connected and indirectly then through to biodiversity which is something that we're, we realise for a whole lot of reasons are extremely important so those things are all doable by a whole lot of one dollar devices that could be put Mm. here and there Mm. eventually Mm. we just need 
Yeah. So I know that uh, organisations like Holter and I'm sure the other ones um, around in the similar space are positioning themselves, get their own business right, but they actually are providing a platform that a lot of other industries will start talking to them, a lot of third party, which yep. that really excites me because, I mean, for me, Holter and all of the other companies are a, sort of a third party for me, so um, they're part of my sort of scope three. Um, yeah, so that's that's exciting, and it's really fun being a part of those conversations, mm-hmm. particularly as they then blend in the other considerations of um, of uh, sustainably keeping a strong business, and of those other businesses connected to me. I've got a vested interest in them staying robustly strong, um, and then going forward, uh, how it, t- it relates to uh, the roles of people. We've seen a huge difference as we no longer are going to get cows and putting up electric fences and that. The immediate response is a good example, Paul. Um, we Within six months, we took out 20, 25% of the hours. We're generally working 58, 60 hours. This is average for my staff yeah, and okay. me, yep. upwards of 100 per week, um, that we're now just reliably at 44, just which is huge. Wow. But that's only part of it because my staff love doing what they're doing. Mm, mm. But much more significant is things, and this is a bit of a, uh, consequence I didn't realise would be this bigger deal is their complete role now that there when they start they on day one I'll have them out show them how we allocate feed manage the animals move them and then from day two they are doing it themselves and they get to experience what it's like to be sort of at least five years in and in the driving seat with me hand hovering over this over the handbrake and all of that like, <laughs> like teaching my daughter to drive but still the same experience. And then that not only gives them the experience, but gives them this, this kind of feeling of, of what it's like to move forward. And this is what we have to do for our people. We talked before about those career changes and, and, and most um, of that generation really don't want to be mucking around. So, uh, and right or wrong, they're right because if we can't provide that, they won't come work for us. So yeah, they, they, do, they do get the last say. Yeah. So there are yeah. concepts like that that – it's not just about saving the time. We're, we're creating a whole new environment, responsibility, uh, pathway ahead for them um, because we're so short of them. Anyone who's keen will um, have – have, um, Petra, who's my farm manager, is an extraordinary example in her mid-20s and um, is absolutely rocketing ahead with just loving the control. Um, and then the last thing is a, a huge change in mindset um, – because in the past, this was our approach to the day, and a lot of business, I mean, whenever we have people from other businesses, all my mates come to the farm, you start off thinking that um, they're running a building company in Auckland and I'm on a dairy farm, we've got nothing to do with each other, and within like an hour, like our vendor diagrams completely overlap <laughs> of, of everything. But yeah. for us, um, around people and pathways, that by having them uh, more productive and then in a driving seat more, we can work strategically more working on outcomes. So we will each week we will meet and work out what our main outcomes of the week are mm. and then their job is just to go and make it happen. It doesn't matter how complex it is, yep. now we can, we can do it and it will align to the strategy. Mm. And everything they do is with a lot more intention. Um, historically on farm, um, all we ever did was, uh, through necessity, we had a finite amount of time so outside the milkings, you'd have like four to five hours a day to get other stuff done. Yep. Um, you'd have a certain number of electric fences and standards that you need to subdivide paddocks and you had a tractor and um, a dog maybe. And then 
um, and then a whole lot of animals and as minimal mobs. You try and keep it as simple as possible. And then we would get whatever we could done in the day. Yep. And everything beyond that, that's it. Got tomorrow, but that's all I could get done. So we've completely upended that and go, I could have, we'd normally run three mobs. We've had like up to 11. We've got five, six at the moment, and you've got no constraints there. We've taken fences and this, out. This is this is the technology just lets you just let group, you group your, um, your cows you in a completely different way rather than the traditional exactly. sort of, you know running a, a uh, big mob. fences and letting a, a mob you know that's cows it. through through one gate and yep that's right with a lot of consequence because of that you end up yeah. playing to the average so why would I want to split mobs just because the groups. Start. I've got two and three-year-olds together, which are a particular. It's like intermediate school. Mm. They need to be kept together. They're just not really for the rough and tumble of high school. And all the rest <laughs> of the older girls, they're in there, and they mean business. And then we've got all our young stock, our calves, wow. are like primary school, yeah. they're together. But even them, if if uh, when we weigh them, which we do regularly, um, we can just reshuffle the mobs to adapt to. I mean, they have blue periods. They um, um, may not perform well. And one of the first things you can do is actually adapt around them. So those are the kind of outcomes that we identify we want. And then you can make it happen. It's extraordinary. Um, it's quite liberating until you start thinking, once I take away these constraints, one mob's easy to make decisions around. Mm. Um, we've taken fences out, probably taken 65% of them out. Because you have this bigger block of land now that you can subdivide and move the animals so every break anyone draws, so a break is where we put an electric fence up and restrict where the animals were. Mm. We now on the phone just draw where you want. You've you just already got draw the, that, and then because they've because they've got the the um, collar on, the when collar. they step over that, it'll tell them, it'll beep at them and say not to, and they'll stay there. And we can move. And that's them. all it takes is just yeah. a, just a just yeah, they, a beep, just they, a little nudge. They completely understand it. There's no electric shock treatment here. Uh, well, during the training phase, they have a tiny one, mm. but it can only be used, and it is only used after a period of time where the animal has demonstrated it completely understands what it's doing mm. so mm. that it then willfully um, puts itself in a situation where the uh, the pulse is used to reinforce a signal that they had already understood and they had chosen not to. Yeah, okay. And then what you'll see is only those who are the naughtiest, those that are big and pushy and that, they'll go over it. And you'll see them get a little pulse and they'll put their head up and go, I knew that was coming, and then I'll quietly walk back to the break. Um, it's extraordinary. A complete change in animal behavior. The whole yeah, mob, yeah. the whole farm of now three years, many thousands of moves, mm. no, not once by us. Mm. You would think they'd become a bit more wild because you're no longer there getting them and around them. Mm. A complete opposite. Wow. Super. You come through the cows, they're super chilled out. You become as threatening as a tree. It mean nothing to them. And so we can go up to most of them. Um, if you spread out the behaviours and look at those that were always really scatty and those that were super pets that were following you around like wet lambs, and, mm. um, they have all become more chilled and both tail ends have come in. Mm. So those that were looking to you for endorsement yep. have actually become more cow. Yeah. Those that were a bit more scatty have actually just become more chilled. So, and there's a whole lot of dimensions there as we move from animal welfare, which we've, been, uh, we've achieved for quite a while in our industry. We've got really robust measures of it. Um, still working to be better and better, to a, a new way of thinking with the technology that can start collecting other dimensions to behaviour. So let's say, for example, social grouping, that we know who normally hangs with who normally when they're well. 
It'll yeah. be to do with age and size and a yeah, dominance yeah. hierarchy, which is yeah. really strict. Mm. So with technology that can actually go in and understand that hierarchy and who's normally with who, if that changes, it will be because the animal is experiencing something different. If she's unwell, uh, there's a real disruption. Yeah, okay. And so why does that matter? Oh, it, it matters for us as farmers. We farm because we really care about our animals. Um, our staff even more so from that generation. Mm. Uh, we've got a whole lot of layers of compliance uh, that are becoming more and more attuned, particularly around um, environment and animal welfare. Um, our markets really care about it. Our, we've, so our markets are made up of um, our consumers at the end who are consuming the products, but we also have, before them, we have some significant big organisations we sell into, Parmalat and Nestle's and the likes, and they have made um, significant statements in terms of where they're going, in terms of emissions. They've, yep. they've all yep. come out with 2030 targets, like Fonterra has just done with a 30% reduction of its scope three, and a lot of them are heading towards zero very fast. Mm. Uh, but as well as around animal behaviour mm. and uh, animal welfare and well-being, so we, it's, it's expedient for us on lots of levels. So to be able to adapt around that, but it's phenomenally complex trying to get it to understand the technology. But it's getting there very fast again through some really cool uh, applications and some very very smart people. And how's that the, the, the journey going from an environmental perspective and? I don't think anybody wants to see sort of climate change go down the the worst tracks that we've that we've Absolutely heard about. Absolutely not. But you know, on on the flip side, most of us don't want to make too many kind of big changes to uh, uh, to ha- how we how we live. Um, so Quite right. There's obviously a fair bit of a of a load that's on uh, on our farmers to innovate and uh, and. You know, yep. I guess figure out how to reduce emissions. That's right. Uh, without uh, killing off uh, an important sector. Yeah, the goose that lays the golden egg. That's right. I mean, on one hand, we need to carry that load because our methane emissions um, have a very significant impact on um, on our total emissions, and we know that we are the major um, major role there with ruminant animals. On the other hand, we <laughs> we're outside with our job. Mm. We know about climate. We know yeah. about weather. We've, yeah. We collect records. I know that in the last five, six years, I've had three of the driest in my career. And mm. last year was mm. the wettest in my career. So whenever you see those floods and typhoons and everything that people are saying, this is the, this is the record for that country, well, we're having plenty of them. Mm. Um, uh, you're right that that 1.5 degrees, um, it would be incredible if we managed to hold on to that. But uh, even that is going to take an extreme measure for us to, and two degrees beyond, it's scary territory. That hockey stick is um, mm. it's, its a stick for a reason. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit us hard if we don't manage to. Um, uh, and our industry is a slow ship to turn um, because, because of the size and shape and, and, uh, and the way it's actually structured. But within it, uh, the vast majority of us are well on track. So, for example, um, our compliance around our farm environment plans that we started was 10 years ago, uh, all the waterways fenced um, and then the basic measures of what we were doing on, on um, use of effluent and nutrients and uh, animals, uh, at least recording, at least get used to um, things. And then the Know Your Number was an amazing campaign where we actually said at the very least just know what your emissions level is. So I know mm. I produce 8.2 tonnes per hectare on yep. my farm yep. and Fonterra's uh, second issue is, um, of course, with emissions and, 
intensity, which is how much is around each product. Um, and then we've now just rolling out, well, my region is going to be the first one to roll out the freshwater farm plans. So these are much more detailed understanding of uh, environmental management. Um, I tend not to use environmental management because it's, I don't manage my environment. Environment is everything. So mm. the, the reality is it's actually resource management. So the primary resources um, mm. that I've got and how I uh, understand them, how I manage the risks around them, and then what plans I've got ahead. So those resources are, of course, my soil, my um, infrastructure, my animals, my water, my um, atmosphere around me. And so all of those things, the farm environment plans, are, are structured beautifully to enable us to uh, show an understanding of it, understanding what the risks are, talk about our current management, and then what our management plans are ahead and then make us accountable for those. We've already got the majority done. This is a little bit like moving from animal welfare, the minimal uh, achievement of the five freedoms that the animals have entrenched in law, um, to actually animal well-being is how do we actually um, absolutely enhance as much as possible every bit of it. So I've got this dream ahead where because our ability to um, use technology to measure so many of these things and have incredible storage and uh, ability to manipulate it in the cloud is that within a few years I need us to be at the point where uh, external auditing, which we have a lot of, mm. and we ha are going to have more of it. I want some, there's some serious blockchain opportunities for us to actually connect inextricably to what we're doing. Yeah, okay. But at the moment, um, the ultimate is that we've got a fair bit of auditing and compliance, but for it to happen with convergence um, organically outside me, this data already exists with all of the main companies that I mm, deal with, mm. um, with Fonterra and LIC and Balance. So for agronutrients, for animal performance, for product, uh, for milk quality. Um, and at the moment that comes to me and I have to shuffle it and then send it to four different reporting, which really takes up a lot of time and energy. And you'd, you'll see this is part of the reason you'll see some kickback from farmers as to what's going on. Yeah. But the ultimate for me is once a year it comes out and it captures the what we require for our markets and government compliance and then two other things. I want it to be able to capture completely the full experience of every animal for every moment it's with me and secondly to capture the full experience of every square metre of land and water that is within my scope one um, and have that link through to the scope three which is um, of course all the external emissions upstream and downstream, that, that com completely can be done. And for us, particularly as an export country, is gold. That's we already, yeah, we already experience awesome. a significant premium for what we do and how we do it. And this is just a potential where it's a win-win across everybody, particularly our consumers and their trust. So yeah, ultimately, the, I guess that, that that data you know comes together. I mean, along the way, I guess all of the the data you're drawing on allows you to address you know issues it does. amongst you know an individual uh, cows. Um, but ultimately, you end up with sort of data, and I mean, can you can you put it down to a happiness score of oh, absolutely. you know well, how you know how well how happy the the cows are? Can you put that on a bottle of milk and say, uh, oh, we've got you know this is New Zealand milk, and our uh, cows have a happiness score of uh, it's true, you know, four point six out of uh, no, five or whatever. you're onto it. 
Yeah, this is absolutely what how it needs to be. And this mm. is when I say a single metric, that's mm. pretty much exactly what I'm mm. talking about. Mm. Mm. And in Shanghai, on that bottle of flavoured milk, that someone scans a Q code mm. and they get a live feed into the map that you just saw of my farm and to be able to touch a couple of things, not move my cows, but at least go in <laughs> and, um, and, and then go and pick any time of the year. No cow tipping. Yeah, exactly. And then... Uh, look at the heat maps. We've already got heat maps for all of the movement of animals mm. through the year. Mm. I can pick any period and mm. show where they were for however many hours. And it's a beautiful thing to actually go through and look at mm. where they mm. spend time. Um, enables me to manage around heat tolerance, which is something that we uh, are having to address more and more and more. And my time in Thailand um, working with the farmers over there was something that was very, very important. Mm. Um, important from a productivity mm. rather than a welfare, but um, it's, it's something that we're going to need to address more and more. So you can see in all of this, and if you throw Laura in as well, um, the opportunity for third parties to just be in the game there mm. from a technology. Mm. There is well, just all that data. There's just so uh, data, but also opportunities for them to come in and actually put their own devices mm. and actually mm. add value mm. in whatever areas because yep. we're talking about a very big machine, our industry. Mm. Um, and there's something pretty cool about producing food. Honestly, you can. I do get to sleep pretty well at night. Um, in that, in that respect, uh, also take pretty seriously the um, responsibility for the cows. I mean, they're, they're amazing animals. Work really hard for us, uh, and and for that, uh, that means a huge amount to us and a huge amount of our pleasure in running the farm. And then, without a doubt, the care for the land. When you get to my age, uh, just turned sixty, um, the uh, you just get this idea that this 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 finite period that you get to not to sound cliche, but this finite period you get to look after this land becomes just so much more acute, mm. um, and and therefore the uh, responsibilities that go with that um, really come into focus. And uh, for us to be doing right by all of that, or doing as right as we can at the moment, mm. but identify where we need to go, um, thus the. the the, uh, the reporting that moves more towards some tangible, accountable plans. Yeah. And then bring as many people into the discussion, not with me saying this is what we're doing, we've got there, but so what do you think? Mm. Where do you think we should go? What do you care about? And then help them get a bit more grounded. So example, on the animal welfare front, and there's some parallels with um, people and um, land and nutrients and environment. Um, one of the big big things that people happen happens to them is a real change when you spend a couple of days on farm and they are getting in the rhythm of the farm, uh, finding out what we really care about. So most common people go away from most farms and go, I didn't actually really realise why you were in this industry and what you care about. But the other thing is actually getting closer to the truth of what's happening. And so the truth for the animals or for the, for the land and the pasture and that is going to require a lot more IoT devices and understanding yeah. and yeah. ability. And then um, uh, optimization which is going to be very challenging because it's a complex biological system. For the animals, on a straight, just on the behavioural side, getting closer to what their truth is is quite different. We tend to be quite anthropomorphic, which is understandable. But what really matters is what they're experiencing. And one of the aspects is they live in the present. Most of our suffering goes on as humans in the future. I'm fine today, tomorrow if I get a diagnosis that I've got terminal cancer, I've got six months to live, tomorrow I am completely miserable, even though I'm the same person. Mm. Yeah, we do that. Cows do not. Animals do not. And that's not to take anything away from them, but it does then beg the question, what really matters to them is how they exist in the present. 
And so if I can have a series of presents which I can put together to, for Paul Spain's uh, happiness score, um, that is what will really matter. But it does require people and government and public and that to actually understand that's actually the truth for the animals. And right down to the more challenging part, which is therefore it's that quality and what it really means of all their life rather than the length of it. Yeah, okay. Oh, so, that's, so that's an interesting yeah, thing that we then... Fascinating. And, yeah, and so when we say we're starting to build that vision ahead, those yeah. are the kind of discussions you want to go down and then you rein back, get back to reality right now, but at least let it form your thinking mm. and then the conversations mm. you have with where those responsibilities are. It's, it's a really interesting space. You can well, see in the cow I, shed we get quite a bit of thinking time and yeah, talking time. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I can see there's a lot more that we could, we could delve into uh, in the future. We've um, probably already burn burned through um our time for for today sure. um but yeah I'm, I'm hoping we'll get another chance to uh uh you know delve into this on on another occasion as well so yeah that'd be fantastic really fascinating pete oh, it's uh, been a lot of fun thank you paul really and enjoyed it some really important discussions here and i love this sort of forward-looking sort of future focus that that you carry and the you know the different um insights that you've shared with us so um, yeah, probably a, a lot more to chat about, but uh, you've given us a great a great picture on, I guess, you know, some of the key key things that are going on, how it all fits together. So, you know, really appreciate that. Uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, it'd be great to catch up again sometime. The, this whole space is moving fast, and we certainly need platforms like what you provide uh, to help us navigate it and make sense and draw, particularly from a technological point of view, all of us together so that we're seeing the same picture. Yeah, and look, I think, you know, sometimes we don't recognise how quickly things are moving. Oh, but probably, absolutely. obviously, it's not just the, the farming world, but, you know, probably every direction we look, that, that things are moving quickly. Yeah. And, you know, we do need to stop, sort of delve in and, uh, and make sure, you know, we're making good decisions for the, for the future. So some really good inspiration there. Um, thank you. Uh, and, of course, thank you to our show partners, to Gorilla Technology, HP Spark, Two Degrees and One NZ. If you've enjoyed this content today, then you might well enjoy hearing episode 648 of the New Zealand Tech Podcast, where I spoke with Halters, Chief Executive and Founder Craig Piggott. So more there on Agritech Innovations in New Zealand, uh, and you can find that through your podcast player or Googling for NZ Tech Podcast, episode 648. Uh, and yeah, if you've been watching the live stream, then uh, you know look out for NZ Tech Podcast uh, through your, your podcast uh, app, uh, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, and if you're listening to the audio podcast, um, you know make sure you, you find us on the, the video platforms, whether it's following myself on uh, LinkedIn, where we where we uh, stream live most Tuesday afternoons, uh, or through Facebook X and YouTube. Well, thank you, Pete. Uh, Cheers, Paul. Really great to have you on the show. If anybody wants to wants to get in in touch, are you uh, are you reachable on uh, Twitter yep, or yep. X? Yep, Is Panda that, Morgan on X, and yep. uh, or just email me uh, panda.morgan at extra.co.nz. I'd okay. love to hear from anyone. Uh, anyone wants to come to the farm, it'd be a pleasure. That is so awesome. All right. Well, thanks very much, and thanks everyone for joining us this week. We'll catch you again next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.